Good morning, church. We are not going to ride this. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Some of you are sad about that. Uh, hey, welcome. Uh, so glad that we are together today and get the chance to uh, spend a few moments talking uh, as we begin the new year together. Happy New Year. Haven't seen you guys since last year, and it's great as we begin the new year to start a new series. And I have two tasks before me this morning. One is just to introduce the new series as we begin the new year together and sort of show you what the trajectory of the next few weeks is going to look like. And then also uh, to sort of set our course for today and to show you exactly kind of where we're going to lean in today together as we begin uh, this series together. So first off, uh, we're starting a new series today called Belonging. And there's a couple of reasons we want to begin with this series. Uh, one is because in just a few short weeks, uh, we'll be relaunching our home groups. If you've been around here very long, you know that every couple of years uh, we do this. We relaunch our home groups, our small group ministry. And that, that's for a lot of reasons, one of which is we really believe everyone needs uh, to belong to a small group, to be a part of a small group. And it's my personal hope and dream and goal that as many of us or all of us uh, would, be, would belong to a, to a small group. And in, in case you're wondering if you should join one, uh, they've actually done research, and I thought I'd share at least three, three reasons you should join a, a small group. These are, these are for real, by the way. First, they say if you are a part of a small group at your church, uh, that you're more likely to still be involved at in that church in five years. Second, they say if you belong to a, to a small group, a home group, uh, that you are more generous and that you live a more generous life. And maybe most importantly, and this is actually factually true, that if you belong to a small group, you are 55% more likely to live longer. So, I told Jason, it should, we shouldn't make our mantra, you know, join a home group or die. Um, <laughs> He didn't go for that. Uh, but it is true, and I think there's, there's truth there. And if you've uh, been a part of a small group before, if you're a part of one now, you know this is true, that it is life-giving. And we put this on the wall. As you leave, you'll see it again today. Jesus said, I've come for you to have life and have it abundantly. And that's what happens when you're a part of a small group of believers. And as our church continues to grow and get bigger, it's so important that we also, at the same time, continue to get smaller and that you are connected to a small group of believers, that you are doing life in one of these new communities of Jesus followers, people who are walking with you. It's so important to your spiritual growth and your spiritual development, no matter what phase of life you're in, to belong to a small group who can care for you, who can walk with you, whether that's a home group, a class, a men's group, a prayer breakfast, a grow group. I'm so excited that so many of you are already involved in groups like these. And it's so important that you belong to one of these because it's important for your spiritual growth. Second reason, uh, and this is just one of those, you know this, this is that basic human need that, that all of us have. It's that question that you asked yourself, whether you knew it or not, that first day you walked into a new school, right? You look around the classroom or you look around, you know, and you're like, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Where are my people? What, who, who am I going to be friends with? Where do I fit, right? That's the question. It's that question you asked in the playground, and you may have never prayed before, but you were praying right there. Pick me. Pick me. God, let someone pick me. Don't pick me last. Why? Because you want to be picked. You want to be chosen. You want a place to belong. You want to know that you're valued, that you matter. It's so, it's so, it's part of our DNA. It's part of our, the way we're built, that we have this innate desire to belong, to belong to something. 
to belong to a team, to, to be a part of the band, to, to, to know where we fit. It's, it's, it's how you feel when you walk into a new job or your first day on a college campus, you look around. It's the way some of you feel this morning because it's your first time here at Riverside and you're looking around and you're wondering, where are my people? Where do I belong? Where do I fit? Are there people that look like me or think like me or dress like me or do what I do? Where do I belong? And you're likely to come back. You're likely to come back if you find that place that you belong. You're likely to come back if you find a friend. If, if you know that you'll be missed when you're not here. And you'll come back the second time and the third time. And eventually, if you find that belonging, if you find that friend group, if you find where you fit, then you'll make this church your church like so many have because you found that place of belonging. Again, I love this. They say, this is true, and some people say it's higher than this, but the lowest I've read says that seven out of ten people that you invite to church will say yes to that invitation. They'll come. That may surprise you. It surprised me. Some people will say as many as eight out of ten people that you invite to church will say yes to that invitation. Why? Because a lot of people, especially a lot of people in your circles, especially a lot of people in this area, they're not averse to going to church. They have some fundamental or idea or belief about God or in God. But they want to, if they go to a church, they don't want to go and walk in the room and not know anybody. They want to know someone. They want to know that they belong, that someone's looking for them. Uh, they want to have that sense of if I walk into that church, if I walk into that room, that, that someone's going to know me or I'm going to know someone. And so they'll say yes because they want to they go somewhere where they belong, where they can find a sense of belonging. And this is part of the vision of this church. You know that, right? That we want this church to be a place of belonging, a place where you come and you have a place of belonging, a place where you come and you're able to give that sense of belonging to others. We, we use the word invest. In fact, we say it this way. You'll see it on the screen. But we, we say this in some of our vision language that we want to create a world where we invest in each other. We live in a world, and you know this, where people have never been more connected but have never felt more alone. Again, right now, they, they did a survey in 1980. Uh, 20% of Americans said they felt or were experiencing loneliness. 20%. They just redid the survey. That number more than doubled. It's over 40% of Americans right now would tell you, would admit to experiencing incredible loneliness. That means four out of every 10 people in this room right now even though you're surrounded by people, even though you have a thousand Facebook friends, even though you're more connected than you've ever been, chances are four out of ten of you feel incredibly alone for anyone who wants to create a place where we show up for each other and make each other better come. Come and experience what life is like when a group of people make an eternal investment in the lives of each other. Some of you you, you've, um, you see this tandem bicycle. This is really cool, by the way. I'm thankful for Don Nab for letting me borrow this. Um, s- some of you have been trying to ride and do life alone, trying to go solo, when you were never created for that. Uh, you've been trying to, to ride solo and, and, and go through life all by yourself, but you were created to do that together. And, and, and you've experienced this. Some of you have thought this. You've you thought that you, you, you needed Jesus, but you didn't need the church. But it's just not true. You thought you could get along in, in your personal relationship with God, but, but, but not get connected with a local church, and it's just not true. The way God created us was, was for him, absolutely, yes. 
but also for each other. And the only way you make it through this life is when you do life with him and when we do it together. And the question I want us to think about today is, is if we were created to belong together, what would life look like in this place, in this church here at Riverside, if we fully embraced and leaned into believing together? What would life look like for us? Uh, this past week, I was reading a book with my daughter, Ella Grace. I think reading books with her is her love language. Um, it was a book about a princess or fairies or something. Um, and, you know, I would read a couple pages, and then she would read a couple pages, and... Uh, we got to the end of the chapter, and it was one of those books where the chapter sort of ended with a bit of a cliffhanger, you know? And you're like, oh, no. The question that she and I were both asking was, what's going to happen next? The problem was it was bedtime, and I was tired. And I was like, we'll read it later. No, Dad, let's read it. No, it's time for bed. Let's read it. I need to know what's going to happen next. Some of you know this not because you read books, uh, but because you watch Netflix, Right. And Netflix has done an incredible job. TV producers know this, that if in the last 60 seconds they can present you with a cliffhanger, that you are more likely to go ahead and watch the next episode. Because you need to know what? What's going to happen next? Like you can't, even if it means staying up an extra hour, even if it means you're going to be tired at work tomorrow, you're willing to sacrifice your livelihood to see what's going to happen next in this TV show that really doesn't even matter, right? This is what we do. In fact, Netflix, since I'm in the business of giving you uh, research information today, Netflix has done their own study. And, uh, and just those of you who, uh, who watch TV together, like if you're married or you have friends you watch with, uh, Netflix has reported last year that 46% of streaming couples cheat on each other. That is, they watch the next episode without their <laughs> other. Yeah. What's worse is the survey revealed that 81% of cheaters plan to cheat again. <laughs> so we're going to set up some uh, Netflix counseling after today. And uh, no. Isn't that crazy? You know why we do that? Because we have to know what's going to happen next. Man, I don't know about you, but as we turn the page on this year, and as we get ready to launch in to 2018, <laughs> I had that same sense of excitement and anticipation for Riverside. I don't know about you, but for me, 2017 was an incredible year for this church in the life of this church. As we ended 2017, our staff and our elders, we kind of reflected together on, uh, on all the ways we saw God working in this past year. And I just wanted to share a few of these with you uh, because God has been at work in this place. And sometimes, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes you're so ingrained in it, you can't get outside of it and see it. But God has been at work in this place in a mighty way. And, and these are in no particular order, but I'll, I just want to share some of the ways we saw God at work over this past year in this place, at this church here at Riverside. If you can think back, it seems like they've been here forever. But early in 2017, Grayson and Margaret Ann Tucker came and joined our staff and joined our church. Grayson became our student minister. And if you have teens or if you're around that ministry, you know what a tremendous blessing he has been and they have been to our church and to our students and to our teenagers. It's been awesome. We're so thankful for them. Yeah, amen. Uh, we got, uh, this is a small thing, but it's a big thing. We got a significant upgrade in our facility. If, if you were here this time last year, you didn't see this beautiful stage or this awesome carpet and the new chairs. You know, we got a really, just a, a beautiful renovation in this room. We praise God for that. We've seen um, growing diversity here in this church, and we praise God for that. We've seen the use of women and families in worship in a new way here for Riverside that's blessed our church in tremendous ways, and we praise God for that. 
We've seen significant spiritual growth in so many of your lives. And that's largely, in my view, because of your involvement in things like grow groups or men discipleship groups or prayer breakfast. We've seen that in your lives, and we praise God for that. We've heard your stories, and we praise God for those. Our budget and financial situation has improved incredibly over the past year. That's thanks to our finance team, our leadership team, our staff, and really, honestly, your generosity. This church is giving an unbelievable amount of money to the work and to the mission the vision of God in this church. And because of that, we ended 2017 in the black. We're going into 2018 with a balanced budget, and I'm praising God for how he's worked in so many ways in, in that way, in that area. We've added a number of young families to Riverside this year, and a number of those young families who have stepped in and made Riverside their faith family, their church home, have already started serving in this church, and that's fantastic. In fact, this past year, we added 13 new families to Riverside, and I praise God for that. We started this past year, if you can remember this, by launching a new vision, the Live Different vision, the idea that we need to invest, invite, and engage. And, and we have these bracelets that I'm wearing. We've got more of these in the lobby and around the, the entrances and exits. You can pick one up if you don't have one. And that vision has given us all just new language and clarity around our calling to live different, to love God and to love others, and to let Jesus truly change our lives, not just go through the motions, but for, uh, for us, we're aspiring to live differently because of what Jesus has literally done in our lives because he saved us. Can I get an amen? That's what he's done, and that's what we're trying to do as a church, and I praise God for that. And this past year, we had our first Engaged Sunday where over 250 of you that I counted We're involved in over 15 different projects in and around our city, serving our neighbors and doing good in the name of Christ to help the others in need. And I praise God for that. That's just some of the ways. Now, there's more. And you know of some. You saw some I didn't see. You know of some I'm not even aware of. There's stories, and I don't have time this morning to recount all of those. But God has been moving and working in our church in a powerful way. And just like, you know, getting to the end of a chapter or just like getting to the end of an episode, for me personally, I can't wait to turn the page. I can't wait to click the next button, to skip the intro, and to watch the next episode and to see what God is going to do in the life of this church in 2018. Because God is moving in our hearts. God is reaching people with the gospel God is changing lives. God is helping people in the name of Jesus through this church. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. I think it's got to be just a little bit like, uh, truth is it's not even close because this is so much greater. But it's got to be a little bit like what that first church felt like. You know what I'm talking about? After the resurrection of Jesus, in the wake of the resurrection of Jesus, there was a small group of believers who got together. And more than likely, this group of believers, some of them had seen Jesus. They had known him when he was a boy. Like their kids had played with his kids on the streets of Nazareth. You know? They're watching him grow up. They're watching him become a young man. And then one day at a wedding when he is a man, they see him there when his mom, Mary, comes to him and says, Jesus, and she knows what he can do. Jesus, we've got a problem. Wedding's going great, but we're running out of wine. Can you fix it? And she knows he can. He gets some jars. The servants fill it with water. The master of ceremonies walks by, and he tastes it, and he's never tasted better wine. 
They saw Jesus as he began his ministry, as he called disciples. And they had questions about the kind of people he was calling to be his followers, his disciples. I mean, these guys, they've been rejected by the rabbis. They didn't make the cut. You know, they weren't quite good enough. And by the way, this may be good news for you if you've ever felt rejected or not good enough. You can be accepted and um, know that you are good enough with Jesus because these men were. And he gathered these guys together, this group of disciples together, these men and women together to be his followers and his disciples. And, and they went around and, and they saw him do teaching that was unlike anything they had heard. They saw him do miracles and heal people and bring dead people back to life. They saw him in his generosity. They saw him in his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. They saw his non-anxious presence. Even when there were people all around him plotting his demise, they saw Jesus, as he went about, showing the world what God looked like because God was walking the planet. They saw it all. And they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus when those who plotted his demise had their plans come to life. They watched. They watched as they lied and bribed their way to his execution and they killed him on a cross. And they were there that day too. And they saw that. They saw the one they had come to believe was Messiah die. They were there. And they heard him. In fact, they'll never forget seeing him as he's drawing some of his last breaths. And, and at any point, if he was going to lose it, this was the moment. He would have lost it, but he didn't. Instead, he looked on those who had literally just crucified him. And he said, Father, forgive them. Boy, you better believe they never forgot those words. You better believe they never held a grudge again. You better believe they were always quick to forgive when they saw him do that. And then they went into hiding because they too were scared for their lives because the people that killed Jesus, they wanted to extinguish his followers as well. But three days later, these women who'd gone to check on Jesus in the tomb and his body came back and they were bewildered and confused but excited and, you know, just didn't know what to do, dumbfounded. They said, you're not going to believe this. Jesus is not there. These women became the first preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ that literally he is risen. And in this moment... They're confused and bewildered again. But that same day, that Sunday, Jesus appears to them. They've gathered there, and then all of a sudden, there he is. And they see his hands, and they see his feet, and they see the wounds in his side. And they're looking at Jesus, and they're eating with Jesus, and they're talking with Jesus. And it's the most joy-filled confusion you could ever experience because he was dead, but he's not dead. He's alive. He's risen. And they were there when Jesus told them, hey, It's your job now to carry this story into all the world, to be my witnesses of the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. It's your job to go and to share and tell this story of just how much God loves the world. And as he was telling them again, I mean, it's been 40 days of of hearing this. Jesus has now appeared to over 500 people, and he's telling them again, you got to go into all the world. you got to carry this message. I'm going to send you my spirit. It's going to be amazing. And as he's telling them one more time what they've got to do, this incredible commission to go into all the world and to carry the name of Jesus, the good news of God, to all the world, he's rising again. They saw him rise on a cross. 
They saw him rise from the grave, and now he's literally rising just up into heaven like a balloon that's floating up into the clouds. Eventually he gets so far away, they can't see him anymore, and now he's gone. And they're looking up into heaven, and you know what they're thinking? What now? What's going to happen next? This page is turned. This chapter is done. This episode is over. We can't believe what we've just seen. But what's going to happen next? And it's in this moment that in Acts 1, if you want to open up or turn your device on, Acts 1, we read this starting in verse 12. I just want to share part of the story. This is what happened. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of about half a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here were the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. And during this time, about 120 believers were together in one place. They met together. They prayed together. And they believed together. In the wake of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, this first church, this first group of 120 believers gathered together to meet, to pray, and to believe together. Now, they're about to receive, you know how the story goes. They didn't, but they were about to receive the Holy Spirit. They were about to see the church explode exponentially in growth from 120 believers to over 3,000. They were about to see God answer prayer in miraculous ways. They were about to experience the Holy Spirit of God working in them and through them in ways no one had ever seen or heard or thought possible before. But before any of that, they met together. They prayed together. And the church in the resurrection, in the wake of the resurrection of Jesus, was found believing together. And my question for you this morning is what about you? What about you? As the pages turned for a new year, When you think about the question of what's next for you, will you be believing? Now, I'll be honest. For some of you, and if you're honest, this is true. For some of you, believing is hard. Believing in Jesus is hard. Believing in a resurrected Jesus is hard. And I want you to know if If you're someone who has trouble believing sometimes, you're not alone. Uh, You you know, there was a guy named Thomas who was one of Jesus' closest followers. And he gets a bad rap, but he didn't believe either. Like that day that Jesus appeared in that upper room with the disciples on Sunday after he was killed on Friday. Thomas wasn't there. And when he got back to the house and everyone told him what had happened and what, what, what they had seen and heard and that Jesus had been there, he didn't believe it. It wasn't until eight days later when Thomas had that same kind of encounter with Jesus 
that he started believing. And Peter, we gloss over the fact that Peter didn't believe. When those women got back to the room that morning, that Sunday morning, and told all the disciples what happened, Peter didn't believe it. He darted out of that house and had to run to the tomb to see for himself. And it wasn't until Peter saw the empty tomb that he believed. And Paul, maybe the most famous and influential Jesus follower of all time, he didn't believe. In fact, he was known for killing and locking up and murdering Christians, people who were believers. And it wasn't until Jesus got a hold of him on a road to Damascus when he was planning to find and capture and kill more Christians that Jesus literally blinded him and spoke to him and changed his life that Paul started believing. And boy, let me tell you, that moment changed the trajectory of human history, did it not? The truth is, we're here today in a large part because those men believed. Because Thomas found faith. Because Peter found the empty tomb. Because Paul had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life and changed the world. So if you're not sure about where you are in your faith or believing, I want you to know you don't have to necessarily believe to belong here. And that may sound a little bit strange. But here's something that Paul once said that we still believe today, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were still in our unbelief, while we were still unsure, while we still had doubts, while we still didn't have it all figured out, not that we have it all figured out now, but, but while all that was true of us, Jesus still loved us and Jesus still died for us. And if you're not sure what you believe or where you are in your belief, God loves you and Jesus still died for you. So you can, you can belong here without fully believing everything we believe. We really believe if you hang around long enough and you begin to belong and you begin to believe because that's what happens over and over again to people that hang out with Jesus and people that hang out with his followers. But you are loved and you are welcome and you belong here. And it's our prayer that you will be believing. But what about this church? What about us? As we turn the page, as we begin a new year, a new season together, what will be true with us as a group of people who still belong to this new community that Jesus started, will we be believing together? Will will we be a group of people who are set on fire with the news of Jesus and his resurrection and his love? Will we, like that first church, be united in meeting together and praying praying bold prayers together for God to do incredible things? And will we be found believing together? That first church of 120 believers was found believing and praying and meeting together, and because of their faith, the world was forever changed. I love what Fred Craddock and Eugene Boring said when they were looking at this story of the first church. They said the church is not merely a group of good people trying hard to make the world a better place. The church functions by the presence and power of God. Now listen, sometimes we step into this not not for any other reason except we're trying to do the right thing. But don't misunderstand it. Riverside, this church, we are not here to try to make the world a better place. That's not our job. We're not a group of good people trying to do good things just to make things better. Jesus didn't come and die to make you better. 
He came and died and rose again to give you eternal life because you were dead in your sins. You weren't bad in your sins. You were dead in your sins. And Christ came to give you, to give us life. This is what we believe. And if we are found believing together, then this church too will be fueled by the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. And this year, this is my hope, church. I just want to be bold and tell you this, that I, I, it is my earnest prayer that we will be so much more concerned and consumed with what is in front of us than what is behind us. That we will believe what Jesus said is true, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That we will believe that what Jesus said is true, that if he is with us, then nothing can stand against us. Uh, that we believe that what Jesus said is true, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And this year, as we step into a new year, that we will find that we belong to the body of Christ. And when we believe together, God can move again in this place for the benefit of his church, for the spread of his gospel, and for the glory of his great name. Amen? Let's, if you would, let's stand together. I brought this up here. This is a Bible that belonged to my grandfather. It's ancient. The pages are yellowed. It smells bad, honestly. Um, it's got tape, and it's got inscriptions, and it's got underlines. And at the very end of this Bible, um, page 490, is the last few verses of Revelation. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, the publisher of this particular Bible put two words that were not true on this last page. You can come up and look if you want, but it says at the very end, it says, the end. But what the publisher of this Bible didn't know is that this was not the end. Jesus is still on mission in the world. God's church is still moving forward. There is more to come. God is not finished yet. We get to participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven. What the publisher should have printed, if anything at all, at the end of Revelation were these words. What's going to happen next? Because that's the question. That's the question burning in my heart and my mind. And I bet that's the question burning in the heart and mind of Jesus too. What's going to happen next? Will we be believing? Some of you today, maybe you've been trying to ride alone for far too long. I haven't tried it. I think it would be hard to ride this bike alone. Today, if you want to stop and you want to join up with a group of fellow believers, man, we would love for you to join this merry band. We're not perfect. In fact, most days we probably get more wrong than we get right. But we're believing Jesus together. And if for whatever reason you want to begin this new year and, and you want to just start over and give your life to Christ, you haven't done that before, you, you, you don't even consider yourself a believer in Jesus. You can today. I'm going to invite our elders and their wives to kind of make their way around the room. And they would love nothing more than to pray with you. If you need a fresh start spiritually in this new year, they would love to just pray with you and ask God to give you that. 
If you want to give your life to Christ, if you want to start believing, if you want to be baptized into Jesus as the new year begins, we would love nothing more than to help you with that and celebrate that. This year, as we begin, we want you to know, every one of you, you are loved. You are welcome. You belong. Because a price has been paid for you. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing. God, you are so good. And your love endures forever. God, would you lift up Jesus in this church? And as you lift him up in this place, would you draw all men to himself? God, would you set us on fire for you? Would you, like that first church, allow your Holy Spirit to move through us like it moved through that first group of 120 believers? And God, would you let a fresh wind and a fresh fire move among us? God, would you let us, with courage and boldness, go out this week. And to to be a people who share the love and the message and the hope of Jesus with those who are around us. God, may we be courageous in our love for them, courageous in our, in our hearts for them, God. Would you help us help others, not because we're good people trying to make the world a better place, but because we believe in a Jesus who died for us, who gave. God, you gave your one and only Son, so that whoever believes in you would have eternal life. Jesus, this is our prayer in your name. Amen.